Good morning and welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Well, today wraps up our series walking through the many themes and lessons found in the book of Ecclesiastes. We will finish our study by looking at one final subject that also happens to be perhaps the most important subject in the book, and that is wisdom. In an effort to address the many facets by which wisdom should be applied, we will see six distinct realms in our lives where wisdom should rule, and we'll uncover God's instructions for us that we might find His will in a godless world. Well, thanks for joining us all the way through the end of this study as we finish up making sure that we don't become people who simply chase after the wind. Well, it's been nine Sundays that you've all sat through the book of Ecclesiastes. Well done. You've made it to the end. Um, One of the things that I want to do today as we wrap things up is we're going to seek to cover what is the um, the primary theme that has worked through the entire book in review. Um, And that is to see that if there is a God, the calling to the Christian, the calling to the God-fearing individual is to live their lives in recognition of God such such that you can have satisfaction and happiness and fullness of life, just like Jesus offers. Uh, These are the uh, verses that come in repetition throughout the book that I want us uh, to examine in review. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 24 and 26, A person can do nothing better than to eat and drink and find satisfaction in their own toil. This too... I see is from the hand of God, for without him, who can eat and find enjoyment? To the person who pleases him, God gives wisdom and knowledge and happiness. Ecclesiastes 3, 13 and 14. That each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it. Nothing taken from it. God does this that people will fear him. Ecclesiastes 3, 22. So I saw there's nothing better for a person do than, than to enjoy their work because that is their lot. For who can bring them to see what will happen after them? Ecclesiastes 5, 18 through 20. This is what I have observed to be good, that it is appropriate for a person to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given them. For this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives them some wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Chapter 8, verse 15. So I commend the enjoyment of life because there's nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany them in their toil all the days of the life that God has given them under the sun. Ecclesiastes 9, 7 through 10. <clears throat> Go, eat your food with gladness. Drink your wine with a joyful heart. For God has already approved of what you do. Always be clothed in white. Always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. All of the days of this meaningful, meaningless life that God has given you under the sun. And all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life and in your toilsome labor under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For this, for in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. And lastly, Ecclesiastes 11, 8 through 10, we covered this last Sunday. However many years anyone may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. When you are young, be happy while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. 
Follow the ways of your heart and whatever your eye sees. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. So then banish anxiety from your heart. Cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. Under the sun is the phrase that the writer uses to examine life if there is no God. The conclusion that he repeatedly comes to in every one of these verses is, well, there actually is a God. And the only way that you can find happiness and satisfaction in this life is by reaching above the sun to where God is and bringing him with you or walking alongside of him through this life. And in doing so, you can find happiness. Don't, don't you love those verses? Who wants to go and eat and drink and be glad? Any, any takers on that? Absolutely. That's what life is meant to be like. But you will find if you do that without God, you will only be left with meaninglessness. You will only be left with strife and toil and vanity. But instead, if you recognize, as these verses help us to see, that joy and the life that God has given you is a gift. It's a gift that comes from him. That you will be able to find true satisfaction. So this is the message of the whole book of Ecclesiastes. Um, I want to show you where we have been over the last few Sundays. So I took the, the whole book by chapter and I listed out the verses. And we looked at these themes from our introduction and then covering very important topics from death to work, justice, pleasure, riches, legacy, achievement. And, and I highlighted the passages that uh, we examined um, here in church over these last nine weeks. And I wanted to show you, though, the ones that we haven't. And so these are the verses that I've skipped. So, you know what that means. There's more to the story, right? There's more, there's more for you to uncover. Truly, we've really only scratched the surface. Ecclesiastes was one of the very first books I ever studied as I was uh, coming to faith on my journey to becoming a pastor and teacher. Uh, but I've learned so much new. I've learned so much more having revisited it once more. And I submit to you, encourage the reading and continued study through this book. As you can see, we have more, uh, more to cover. For today, we are going to look at one final theme, and it's that of wisdom. The book of Ecclesiastes finds itself nestled between the book of Proverbs and Song of Solomon in a larger category of genre within your scriptures called wisdom literature. Wisdom literature. All of the books that speak in a poetic fashion to recognize the wisdom of God are found right in the very middle of your Bible, and Ecclesiastes is one of those. So one of the reasons that we've missed quite a few verses is because there are so many passages in and throughout the book of Ecclesiastes that are just going to offer to you, here's how to live a wise life. This is what wisdom looks like, especially the picture of wisdom in a life lived under the sun. And so for today, I'm going to try to pack all of those into one message. That sounds fun, doesn't it? Here's what you have in front of you today. We have six mini-sermons. <laughs> I know I'm using the word mini a little fast and loose, right? Um, really what they, I hope, will turn in for your benefit and mine will be six recommendations onto the pursuit of wisdom. This is my hope for you today. As we study God's word and as the Spirit of God leads us in his indwelling fashion to glorify Jesus Christ, my hope for you is that one of these six areas needs a recommendation. Not any one of us here is batting a thousand when it comes to our pursuit of wisdom in this life. If, if it were, you probably wouldn't be in church today. 
But coming to church is where we come to be reminded that we need continual reform and restoration in our hearts to follow Jesus. So if that's you today, my hope is that as we look through these wisdom passages, one of the many themes, one of these six themes that we look at will really speak to you such that the recommendations that we come across from God's word would be able to be applied into your life. <clears throat> one last thing before we dive into a few texts to let you know is that as we're looking at the subject of wisdom, don't let me lose you here. This is probably the most important point. We're actually going to delve to the very bottom depths of the word of God and the, the entirety as to why you even have a Bible. There is something that happened in the Garden of Eden that has forever twisted up the mind of the human creature such that you and I do not pursue God's wisdom, but ours. You will be tempted in this life to think that you know better than God. Isn't that what happened in the garden? God said, don't eat of the tree in the middle. Every other tree I've given you, but not the one in the middle. And then Eve, after being deceived by the serpent, thinks what? Well, maybe, maybe I know better. You know, now that I look at it, it looks like it's good for food. It's pleasing to the eye. I see that it has a benefit of gaining knowledge, which she learned from the serpent. And she reaches out her hand, she takes some, and then she hands it to her husband who is with her. And what did they do? Well, they did the same thing you do. They did the same thing that I do, which is to think, I know better than God. And so today's service is for us to re-examine that and hopefully come to a place of repentance in our own hearts to say, God, you know better. You know better than I do. And I need to make sure I find the truth contained in your word that will help me to pursue wisdom that comes from you and not from myself. So that, that's the kind of, kind of the groundwork for where I want you to be paying attention to as we look into God's word today. Uh, three passages, they're a little lengthy, but we'll look through some observations once we, look, once we address them. This is the main question I want you to hold in your mind as we're addressing all six of these topics. Are you a wise man or a fool when it comes to them? Which... Which do you lean towards? You're probably somewhere on the spectrum between wise and foolish. Um, that's what I'm hoping the Spirit gives evaluation in your life as we look into it. The first passage is going to be in Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're going, to be, uh, we're going to begin in verse 13 and then work our way into chapter 5. The writer says, 4.13, Better a poor but wise youth than an old but foolish king. Who no longer knows how to take warning. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship, or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them, but those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Guard your steps when you go into the house of God. Go near to listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you are on earth. So let your words be few. As a dream comes when there are many cares... So the speech of a fool, when there are many words, when you make a vow to God, do not delay in fulfilling it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. 
It is better not to vow than to make a vow and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you into sin. Do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow was a mistake. Why should God be angry at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, stand in awe of God. Okay. Everybody with me through that lengthy passage here? Uh, I want to show you the two parts to it. The the first is where the writer addresses the situation that he has seen unfold on the earth of a youth that was wise, but a king that wasn't. And then what happened as the youth made his way to become the king's successor. Uh, The two places where uh, commentators think that the writer is drawing from is the story of Joseph. Do you guys remember the story of Joseph? He was sold as a slave and then he went into prison. And then he worked his way up by God's mercy to the second in command in in Pharaoh's court. The other is David. Uh, David here uh, started out as just a shepherd boy, right? He had nothing, couldn't even find two pennies to rub together. But out of his poverty, he too, chosen by God, rose to become the king. Here's the problem, though. If you look in verse 16, it says those uh, there was no end to the people who were before them. But those who came after were not pleased with the successor. So here's the problem. You have somebody who is wise. You have somebody who everybody likes, and so they make him king. But then do they listen to him? Yeah, it's a good thing America's not like that. Good, good. It's a good, good thing we don't all get fired up about somebody and put them into office only for years later to regret the whole thing. The, the writer here says that type of thing is meaningless. It's vanity. Because here's the problem. You made a bunch of, and then he, the second half here talking about all the words, all the many words, and that's what a fool does. <laughs> i got to be careful because I have a lot of words. <laughs> right? But what the fool does is instead standing on integrity of conduct and behavior, they try to justify themselves and persuade others and manipulate others only to find that that too is meaningless. So taking high-handed vows, thinking that's going to justify your behavior or action, is only the behavior of a fool. And so whether or not you are wise, whether or not you are rich, whether or not you are poor, the problem is wisdom does not get passed down. That's the problem. Wisdom that came from this youth who became king didn't make its way to the people. Uh, The way that I've uh, adjusted this is under the realm of authority. And so here's the first observation. Wisdom is greater than riches, greater than power. It's greater than age. But if wisdom is not passed on, it's pointless. It's meaningless. I can remember being a a young man and having my father try to teach me uh, some of his wisdom. Now, as a teenager, how do you think I... Responded to those nuggets of gold, right? Yeah, they, they, they didn't have any value to me, and it only was until I was older that I looked back and I, I said, Man, what a great dad I had. He, he was really, really, he was really smart. He was really wise. Anybody with me else? Any, any other you, once upon a time youths in church today that you can look back and it's only with the hard knocks of life where you realize your own foolishness that you look back and you say, I should have listened better? So here's the problem. You and I are tempted to think very highly of ourselves, especially if we come to the place of prominence and power, but that those who are below do not end up like 
Velcro sticking to the wisdom that's there because we think highly of ourselves. And the writer here gives us the answer. It comes in chapter 5. I have it for you here on the screen. Here's the answer. Therefore, you and I need to stand in awe of who? Not ourselves. You need to be enamored with the wisdom of God, not the smarty pants decisions you've made in your life. Believe me, you don't know better. If you let your mouth run long enough and fast enough, you'll convince yourself you do. You might even convince others that you do. If you take big high lofty vows, you might, but you're not tricking anybody. You're certainly not tricking God. The problem here with authority is that wisdom does not get passed down. If it doesn't get passed down, it's meaningless. How do we fix that? Well, we make sure that we look to fear God and stand in awe of God first and foremost. All right, number two, we're going to look at a passage in chapter seven. If you turn with me ahead in the book of Ecclesiastes, we're going to round out a few more passages here that deal with wisdom. We covered verses one through four already. We're going to pick up the story in chapter seven, starting in verse five, and then we're going to work our way towards the end of the chapter, starting in verse five. It's better to heed a wise man's rebuke than to listen to the song of fools. Just think about that for a minute. I'll make sure everybody caught that. Oh, who, who likes to be rebuked? Anybody hoping someone sets you in your place, kicks you in the rear? No, not, none, of us, none of us like that. But listen, if that's a wise man doing that, you better what? You better pay attention. That's right. But what do fools do? The song of fools. Listen to the song of fools. Well, they'll sing your praises, right? Be very, be very careful, church, for anybody who's really saying, well, you are just the best thing I ever seen. You're the smartest person I ever knew. Well, I don't know if you have that happen to you often in life. Uh, be careful, though, for if there's somebody who's buttering you up, hey, what do you, what do you butter bread for? Yeah, not for the bread, but for the person doing the buttering. And so be very careful here, right? If at any point you have your ego stroked, it's, take, take a word of caution to that. And instead, it's better for you to listen to the rebuke of a wise man than to listen to the song of fools. Let's continue. Uh, he's going to give us some examples here of what that's like. Like the crackling of thorns under the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This is meaningless. Extortion turns a wise man into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. The end of a matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. Do not say, why were the old days better than these days? For it is not wise to ask such questions. Wisdom, like an inheritance, is a good thing, and it benefits those who see the sun. Wisdom is a shelter, as money is a shelter. But but the vantage of knowledge is this, that wisdom preserves the life of its possessor. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy, but when times are bad, consider God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, man cannot discover anything about his future. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these. A righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. 
Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Now, I'm going to press the pause button right here because we're going to work that into our next observation. I want to deal with this first one here, uh, which I'm calling temptation and how temptation uh, robs you if you are wise. This is our observation. Wisdom will preserve and wisdom will protect. You can see that directly from our passage here in verse 12. Uh, Wisdom is a shelter. It says that wisdom preserves the life of its possessor. But trials will tempt you to abandon wisdom. Trials will tempt you to abandon wisdom. It's wisdom that tells you to wait and be still and be silent, and God has a purpose. But how many of us, when we're under the pressure of a trial, are not squirming the whole time trying to get out of it? And if somebody, for ill effort or a fool, were to offer you either by extortion or by bribe a way to get out of it, would you take it? In fact, look with me back into the text. Verse 7, extortion turns a wise man into a fool. And a bribe corrupts the heart. Maybe you can think of times in your life where you have been tempted. No one's going to see. No one's watching. I know there was a story. I don't really like telling this story. But uh, when I worked on the mission field, teams would come. And our, um, our summer projects were completely dependent on the money, the funds, that team members would bring. And I was in charge of summer teams, and so I would collect all the money, and then I would give it to our treasurer who would, you know, put it in the account, and then I set the budget for all of the spending. Well, summer ended, we got into the fall teaching um, season, and we were about this time of year, late October, and at least in our home, we were struggling a little bit financially. It, it, was, it was a time where the bills were starting to get a little bit higher, uh, our funds were, uh, the bank account was getting a little bit lower, and right beside my printer on my desk was um, a piece of paper that, that, that had hidden one of the envelopes that I had put the money that the teams come in. And there was the envelope. So I, I saw it there and I pulled it out and I opened it up and there was $400 left in there. $400. Now summer was over. Right? The, the, the projects were all done. The teams, as far as they were concerned, had their money well invested. And here was $400 that no one knew about. And I was going through kind of a hard time. So I was tempted to do what? What would you do? So I, I, I thought about it for a minute. Here I am, the Christian missionary, right? What, what, a, what a gold standard they picked, right? And I took that $400... And I put it over on a part of my shelf where I kept our money. It was like a, un, under a book. I, just, I, put, I put it in the category, the place where I put my money. I just put it there. And then the Spirit of God went to work on me. And for about two hours, it got really hot and uncomfortable. And I just, oh, I just could not live with myself. And I got down on my knees and I repented and I prayed and I told God that I was sorry. Um, and I got a phone call. Two minutes after, after this happened from my director back in Dallas. And he said, hey, Ryan, I just want to let you know, brand new donor just came on board uh, and they gave $500 to, to the ministry. And, and you can imagine me in that moment just like, oh, 
what, what an idiot I am. Um, and in, in, in my effort and need to glorify God in my own foolishness, because I was shown to be a fool, um, I went to one of the other missionaries and just confessed to her, listen, this is what happened and this is what God did. And uh, I know God forgives me, but I need someone else to forgive me too. Um, I, I learned that lesson the hard way. I learned it the hard way. Um, if you are not careful, when life gets hard for you, you may be tempted to act like a fool and you will abandon wisdom. So how do you protect that, yourself from that? Well, here's the answer. You need to look to God in the middle of those trials. Whatever it is that you face, you're going to be tempted to leave God. You're going to be tempted. Those are the moments more than any other time when you must look to God. Have you ever been tempted not to come to church? You ever have one of those weeks, right? Life's just not going well. I know that church is the last place I want to be. Do you know that that's the devil working on you? Because that's the best place for you. Now is the time more than any other time when you need to come and be reminded of God's grace and love to do abundantly more than you can ever ask or imagine for a sinner like you and me. Yeah, but if you don't look to God, you might give in to temptation. So this is the answer. Look to God. Look to God. Look to God. Let me show you in the text where this shows up. Look with me in verse 13 and 14. Um, I hope you have circled. I hope you have underlined verses 13 and 14 are the heart of of the entire book of Ecclesiastes. Consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? Have you ever had a crooked week in your life? Have you ever had a crooked day? Yeah. Who's, who's responsible for that? Now, God doesn't tempt you. Don't put the blame on God, but make sure you understand. God has allowed your life to go the direction that it has, even if for you, that feels crooked. And so, verse 14, when times are good, what does everybody do? Everyone's happy. But when times are bad, consider God has made the one as well as the other. And so this is what you do. Church, this is your challenge. You need to look to God all the more when you're going through trials. All right, we're going to continue now uh, into verse 15 and 16 in, in chapter 7 onto our third little... See, I told you these were mini sermons, right? I'm, I'm getting them done. Here we go. Verse 15. In this meaningless life of mine, I have seen both these things, a righteous man perishing in his righteousness and a wicked man living long in his wickedness. Do not be over-righteous, neither be over-wise. Why destroy yourself? Do not be over-wicked and do not be a fool. Why die before your time? It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. The man who fears God will avoid all extremes. Wisdom makes one wise man more powerful than ten rulers in a city. This passage is a little bit difficult. Uh, in fact, if you look with me in verse 16, you might be scratching your head here at church on this one. It says, do not be over-righteous. Does your Bible say that? Does that sound like a weird thing to hear at church? Yeah. Don't be too good now. <laughs> Don't be too nice. Well, that's not exactly what it means. The, the over-righteousness that it's talking about here is that pride that comes from self-righteousness. That's really what it's saying. Don't, don't, don't think too highly of yourself here. Now, why would you be tempted to do that? Well, I'll show you where wisdom becomes the problem. Verse 19 is where the problem shows up. Verse 19 says, Wisdom makes one wise man more powerful than ten rulers in a city. Now, let me ask you the question. Is that ruler a sinner? Yeah. What do you think happens to a sinner when they become more powerful than ten rulers? What do you think happens to them? Pride begins to grow in their heart. 
And so it's, it's in that context that we have to understand what he's saying back in verse 16 and 17. Don't be, don't be overwise. Don't think of yourself higher than you should. Here's our observation from this passage. It's, it's about pride. And it's that wisdom will make you powerful. It absolutely will. But power will lead to pride. And this is the difficulty. Um, I would imagine if we had time, you all could share examples of this. I remember my history professor saying, I forget who said this, Nietzsche or somebody, like uh, back in the early 20th century, that absolute pride or absolute power corrupts absolutely. Have you heard that one before? The, The more powerful you become, the more susceptible you become towards corruption. Good thing that doesn't happen in America. Um, If you look with me back into our text, the answer is in verse 18. Here's the answer. It is good to grasp the one and not let go of the other. Here's what that means. You're, You're grasping the righteousness that comes from God. This is who he has declared you to be by faith. And the other is the sinful life that still retains. It doesn't mean that you embrace sinning. It means that you embrace the reality that my identity is conformed in a dual nature while I live now. Think about that for a moment. You have two natures. You have a redeemed nature because of Jesus Christ. You are a saint before the eyes of God. Not because of you, but because of who? We covered this already earlier, right? I've been crucified with Christ, therefore... I no longer live. Who is it that lives in me? Christ lives in you. You have that nature. But every single one of us also has a corruption that has still warped us. So here's what verse 18 is teaching you. Make sure that you recognize both of those. If you lean too heavily one way or to the other, you're going to find yourself either going towards legalism, because that's what over-righteousness does. Have you ever met a legalist? Yeah. They don't know what grace is, and they themselves are tormented by that. That's the end result of going too far to over-righteous. And if you go too far the other direction, you, you end up with licentiousness. Do you know what that is? That's when you just live your way. Nobody cares. God will forgive me. God will forgive me. It don't matter. Right? Yeah, th- there's problems on both of these extremes. So hold on to one while you hold on to the other. And then here's the answer. The man, verse, verse 18, the man who fears God will avoid all extremes. And so the answer to number three, the reality of pride, is that wisdom makes you powerful, but power leads to pride. Therefore, fear God. Always, always fear God. I'm I'm running out of time, as I always do. I'm still going to tell you this story. And I think I've told this before, but it's so perfect in my life. My my algebra teacher um, put me in charge of class. He had to leave. And um, here I am given a little ounce of power. Um, And he was gone for a long time. And the class was starting to get a little unruly. So Dum Dum here decided he'd get up in front of class, start trying to act a little smart. But popularity and attention really sunk in quick, that little prideful bug that I have. Um, And I made a paper airplane. Have I told you this yet? Made a paper airplane. And uh, we were kind of throwing it around the room. I mean, it was just kids being kids while the teacher was away, right? But I was supposed to be the one put in charge. And someone asked me, they said, I bet you can't throw it at the door. 
And I, I said, I can throw it at the door. And I took the plane and I threw it. And as soon as it literally left my hand, the door began to open with the teacher. And my eyes got huge and the world turned to slow motion. Thankfully, the nose of the plane caught the back of the door just as he walked in. And my teacher opened the door and saw me standing like this up at the front of the room, just in shock. Who did I think highly of? I had no fear of the authority. I had no fear of the authority. Now, that's an earthly example, right? Think of your heavenly father. He's in charge of everything. He's in charge of it all. What happens when we don't fear him is we end up acting like fools and pride works its way into our life. All right, just a couple more. Turn with me to chapter 9 for our next one on wisdom here. Chapter 9, starting in verse 13. I also saw under the sun this example of wisdom that greatly impressed me. There was once a small city with only a few people in it, and a powerful king came against it, surrounded it, built huge siege works against it. Now there lived in that city a man, poor but wise, and he saved the city by his wisdom. But nobody remembered that poor man. So I said, wisdom is better than strength. But the poor man's wisdom is despised, and his words are, uh, his words are not, no longer heeded. The quiet words of the wise are, are more to be heeded than the shouts of a rule, the ruler of fools. Wisdom is better than weapons of war, but one sinner destroys much good. As, de- as dead flies give perfume a bad smell, so a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. The heart of the wise inclines to the right, but the heart of the fool to the left. Even as he walks along the road, the fool lacks sense and shows everyone how stupid he is. If a ruler's anger rises against you, do not leave your post. Calmness can lay great errors to rest. All right, so in, in this one, let me, let me show you our observation here. We're looking here at our culture. I want to show you where that shows up in this passage. But this says that wisdom can save your life. But those who are saved are not guaranteed to be wise. This, this, this is the problem that the teacher recognizes. Remember, you had this one guy who was wise. He saved the whole city. He saved it all. But then after everybody was saved, did they listen to him? It's kind of like our first one, right? We, we did not have wisdom that was passed on. And the reason is because sin still exists. Sin is still there. In fact, if you look with me in verse 18, you'll see wisdom is better than weapons of war. But one sinner destroys much good. This is part of the reason why unity in the church is so important. This is part of the reason why Jesus says, look, before you go and make your sacrifice at the altar, if you know that your brother or sister have something against you, any sin against them, go first be reconciled to your brother and then come and make your sacrifice. The importance of making sure that all of us hold together united. Because how many does it take? you've, You've heard this before, right? A chain is only as strong as it's... Yeah, and, and the, the same true here for the city. It only took one sinner to destroy all the good that the wise men did. Great illustration in verse 10. Look at, look at verse 10, verse 1. Uh, um, as flies give perfume a bad smell. How big is a fly? It's tiny, tiny little fly, right? It gets, its, gets itself in the ointment, stinks up the whole thing now. 
It used to be beautiful. It used to be lovely. But you put one dead thing in there and now the whole thing, the whole thing is ruined. Our answer for this is that we need to make sure that we're continually seeking forgiveness from God. So make sure that you are never setting aside the reality that you are a sinner and that you need forgiveness and that we as God's people need to stay united together. How do you do that? Well, you, it's simple. You seek forgiveness from God. It's, this is hinted to, by the way, in verse 4 of chapter 10. Right? If, if the ruler's angry with you, come on, if, if God's upset with you, if you're living in sin, you probably need to be made right with him. And so there's a humility that must come, and that's the picture that we have at the end of verse 4. It says calmness. You, just, you stay at your post. You recognize that you were wrong. And that's where forgiveness starts, by recognizing, by confession, that I have sinned and I'm wrong. All right, let's continue on. Uh, Verse 5 for our next one. There's an evil that I've seen under the sun, the sort of error that arises from a ruler. Fools are put in many high positions, while the rich occupy the low ones. I have seen slaves on horseback, while princes go on foot like slaves. Whoever digs a pit may fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall may be bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones may be injured by them. Whoever splits logs may be endangered by them. Where's an amen, Phil? Yeah. Lane, is that true? This next one's for you, Lane. Verse 10. If the axe is dull and its edge unsharpened, you got to hit the log harder, right? That's what your Bible says, right? More strength is needed, but skill will bring success. If a snake bites before its charm, there's no profit for the charmer. Words from a wise man's mouth are gracious, but a fool is consumed by his own lips. At the beginning, his words are folly. At the end, they are wicked madness, and the fool multiplies words. No one knows what is coming. Who can tell him what will happen after him? A fool's work wearies him. He does not know the way to town. Woe to you, O land whose king was a servant and whose princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O king. O land, whose king is of noble birth and whose princes eat at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. If a man is lazy, the rafters say. If his hands are idle, the house leaks. A feast is made for laughter and wine makes life merry, but money's the answer for everything. Do not revile the king even in your thoughts or curse the rich in your bedroom because a bird may carry, carry your words. And a bird on the wing may report what you, what you say. All right, so there's a lot going on in this passage. Uh, I, I want to break it down for you to understand what's happening in the mind of the teacher here. What he's doing is he's seeing that there is a king who's been put in charge, who carries on talking like a fool. And he's got to be careful with that. As you saw in verse 20, be careful what you say about the king. Um, and it, he's comparing him to other nations with wisdom, right? Who's, whose princes eat at the proper time. They're not getting drunk in the morning. Well, the, the problem is that many times fools are put in charge. And so this has to do with our obedience. Wisdom is expected from authorities, is it not? Don't you expect wisdom from the people who've been put in charge? But what do you find? Sometimes fools are put in charge. You expect wisdom. But sometimes those who are in those positions of authority... And you should be able to tell this, by the way. It's usually pretty obvious, but they're fools. Good thing that never happens in America. I'm getting tired of that joke, but it seems like it keeps, keeps applying. The answer for this is that you need to honor Jesus as the king of kings. So I submit to you, you should expect foolishness from sinners. And be very careful how much you esteem those in authority. 
Give them honor, pay honor where honor is due. But who's due the honor above them? Jesus. And make sure that you honor him and are following him, him as the king of kings, the Lord of lords. All right, one last one. Thank you all for your patience this morning as we work through this. One last passage. I'm trying to give you all these different views for wisdom because we're wrapping up the book. So this is the last time we're in Ecclesiastes for a while. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 6. Cast your bread upon the waters, for after many days you'll find it again. Give portions to seven, yes, eight, for you do not know what disaster may come upon the land. If clouds are full of water, they pour rain on the earth. Whether a tree falls to the south or to the north, and the place where it falls, there it will lie. Boy, that's... That's heavy right there, ain't it? <laughs> Wherever the tree falls, Lane, that's where it is. <laughs> Love that verse. All right, verse four. Whoever watches the wind will not plant. Whoever looks at the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in the mother's womb, so you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. Sow your seed in the morning. And in the evening, do not let your hands be idle, for you do not know which will succeed, whether this or that, or whether both will do equally well. All right, this is our last little bit of wisdom I want to give you today. This has to do with money. Wisdom demands care and diligence with money. But even the smartest of investments might fail. Um, Money is due an entire series on its own, and I will spend, I'll save a lot of what I want to say on that for then. Um, the two things that are most often contrasted in the word of God are dependency on God or dependency on money. For the Christian, you need to make sure that you have submitted your money to God. But you still need to be wise with it. And so starting off in verse 1, it says, cast your bread, that's, that's the metaphor for money, cast it on many waters. We, we use that term, right? Don't we call money dough? You got a lot of dough, right? Same idea. Yep. You're, you're to diversify your investments. That's what it means to cast it on many waters. And after many days, you'll find it again. Give portions to seven. Yes, even to eight. Here's in a nutshell what this means. Be very careful putting all your eggs in Bitcoin. <laughs> Be very careful with that. You, you don't know. You don't know the way investments will work in this world. And this is exactly what the text here says, right? As you don't know the path of the wind, you can't understand the work of God. Sow your seed in the morning, in the evening, don't let your hands be idle. Be diligent. Use your money with care, but recognize even your smartest investments will, may fail. And therefore, you need to recognize the God who owns it all. Right in the very middle of this passage, verse 4, it says, So you cannot understand the work of God, who is the maker of all things. If you want to be wise with your money, recognize God. Okay, those are short sermons. Six very, very short sermons. What do they all have in common? This is what they all have in common. Wisdom is precious but fragile. You you and I, we need to recognize that today. Wisdom is so precious. It's really so, so precious, but it is fragile. I think of it sometimes like if you were carrying something very valuable... Right? My mom has a china cabinet. Only a few times we get the china out. And if I put too many dishes, <laughs> you ever see a kid carry a stack of dishes? Yeah, you know that's not going to end well. Right? They're precious. But what do you do with something that's precious? Run around in circles? No, you're, you're very careful with it. You're very careful. 
And this is what I want to submit to the church is not valued in our world today. How, How many people on Twitter give a lot of thought behind what they post or comments on Facebook, right? Is there there a lot of, hmm, let me pray about that before I say what I think I should say. The world that you live in, the world conditioned around us, is spitting off the top of its head whatever it thinks. And so we would do well to recognize this as a reminder for us today. And I want to leave you with this for a point of application. If wisdom is something that you want, it begins by recognizing God as God. That's the best I can leave you with for the book of Ecclesiastes. This is the whole message. This is the whole thing. If you put God in his proper place, and you in your proper place, that for you will begin the process of gaining wisdom. This from Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God, even when trials come your way. This past week, a good friend of mine Miss Gibson, uh, she was the principal of the school that I worked with. She passed away. Uh, one of the things that I will always carry in my heart from Miss Gibson is the way that she responded to trials. When, when we heard that the school would lose funding, when we found out that we didn't have enough teachers, when students wouldn't show up, when anything bad happened, I was the one who was like, what are we going to do? How are we going to fix it? What are we going to do? And she was the one who was like, maybe we should just wait. And watch what God is doing through this. For five years, I prayed with this woman every morning. For five years, she and I read out of the book of Proverbs every morning. And this past week, she went home to be with our Lord. Um, I bring her up to you and offer what she taught me for your contribution this morning. That we need to be still and know that God is God. I don't know what it is that you are facing in your life. I'm not sure what trials that are coming your way or that you're facing right now. But I hope that you will recognize the very preciousness of God's wisdom. And in doing so, you will take care of it. It doesn't happen by accident. You have to put in the time for it. But this is the world that we live in. The leaves on the tree are changing, right? The, the songs that come from the culture tell us that we're just dust in the wind. Remember that song? Dust in the wind. All we are is dust. Yeah. If that's, if that's true, then you have no meaning or purpose in life. But if there is a God who lives above the sun, may I encourage you to go eat and drink and find satisfaction in your toilsome labor. For this is your lot that God has given you. And carry God with you every step of the way. Amen. Amen. Let's pray.